Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Iowa City is the place to be for book lovers, film lovers, and music lovers this weekend. There are three festivals happening simultaneously. The Iowa City Book Festival, the Infinite Dream Festival from Hancher Auditorium, and the Refocus Film Festival put on by Film Scene. There are two people coming who are so big that they are part of all three festivals. I talked to one of them, author and screenwriter John Irving, on the show last week, and later this hour I will talk to the other, legendary filmmaker, screenwriter, actor, and author Werner Herzog. He'll be at the Englert Theater Sunday, October 15th at 7.30 p.m in what is now a sold-out event. He'll also be receiving the Cinema Savant Award from Film Scene while he's here. For many cinephiles, Werner Herzog is a hero. He's made more than 70 feature and documentary films and is regarded as a pioneer of new German cinema. But his influence and popularity goes far beyond Europe, and he divides his time between Munich and Los Angeles. To help us understand why Herzog is so influential, Andrew Sherburn is here. He himself is a filmmaker and also executive director of Film Scene in Iowa City. Film Scene is an underwriter of IPR. Andrew, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. It is wonderful to have you here. And let's start with the Cinema Savant Award. This yeah. is not an award you give out every year, at least not <laughs> not not in the past. Tell me what this represents. It's a it's a semi-regular award. You are correct about that. And, uh, you know, we really see it as a way to honor people who've made lifetime contributions to the world of cinema and, and kind of reframed our entire understanding of cinema and what it can be. Um, so we've given it out three times previously. Uh, most recently was 2019 to Charles Burnett, um, who uh, is, is a phenomenal filmmaker, obviously. Um, and we're excited to bring it back. Uh, you know, it took a little break there during the pandemic, and, and it's something that we want to make a, a tradition again. Convincing Werner Herzog to come to Iowa City, Iowa, I mean, this man is a legend. He's also 80 years old. He is in demand everywhere. How did you make this happen? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I have to give a shout out to our friends at Prairie Lights Bookstore because they, they've been in influential in this the whole time. But we reached out to Herzog actually before our very first Refocus Film Festival last year because he had a new novel out. And we thought that was interesting that here, Werner Herzog, who's done just about everything, is now writing these amazing adventure novels. Um, he wasn't able to join us last year, but we just kept that conversation going um, and kind of upped our invitation, made it a little bit more enticing perhaps, and just persistence. And I think, you know, if you know Werner Herzog, you're perhaps not surprised that he would like to come to Iowa. Um, he's kind of famously known for visiting places that maybe are a bit unexpected. Uh, so, you know, the fact that his book tour is going to take him to five cities, it's New York, Boston, Iowa City, LA, and San Francisco, uh, is in some ways surprising, in some ways not surprising at all. <laughs> and and the book that, that he's on tour is his new memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. Um, I, I do want to know, from your perspective, Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker and a cinephile, what makes Werner Herzog's film work so important? Well, he, you know, he's incredibly influential in multiple, uh, you know, over multiple eras, uh, in multiple genres. Uh, his, his work uh, is really, I think, 
you know, remarkably poetic, um, both his narrative films and his documentary films. Uh, he's a filmmaker and an artist and a thinker who is, uh, you know, kind of obsessed with uh, kind of notions of man and nature and, and has a, a, an incredible respect for the power of the natural world. Um, also, I think an incredible um, affinity for humanity's uh, capacity for wonder, um, uh, but also our kind of limitless hubris. Um, and so his films oftentimes are playing with this, like, you know, these ideas. Um, and, you know, I think in all the work that he does, you know, he, he famously coined this term ecstatic truth, uh, which he's applied to his own work, uh, which he says uh, is, is a way to get at films to put images together uh, that is more interested in the pursuit of truth than reality or facts. Um, and I think... As know, a journalist, that scares me. <laughs> I, I think I understand what you're telling me. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, you know, it's that the the feelings that I think great cinema can evoke, and so uh, you know, he's incredibly prolific, as you pointed out, and uh, and and so influential in so many ways. Do you remember when you first encountered his work? Uh, you know, I don't remember the very first time, but I do remember, you know, I, I kind of live in the world of documentary film, and I remember seeing Grizzly Man, uh, that film, and just being awestruck at uh, that the way that film both made me uh, kind of want to be in its protagonist's shoes and then kind of also so glad that I wasn't and like this incredible push-pull that he creates between the audience and and, and the protagonist and and the world that they're inhabiting um, and just remarkably beautiful and tragic all at the same time I mean I think it's so many of his films are like that right and um, Gr Grizzly Man is uh, about a, a real life incident right. where a man who was trying to live amongst the grizzly bears Timothy Treadwell um, was then eaten by yeah, the grizzly bear by, by you know his the things he loved right right um so if someone maybe has only seen Werner Herzog on The Mandalorian um, <laughs> as the client in the very first season of The Mandalorian, or you know is is really just familiar with um, how he's portrayed in pop culture because he has become a pop culture icon. So many people refer to him out of context <laughs> all the time, right. or do imitations right. uh, of him, which I, I think he quite enjoys. Um, <laughs> where would you suggest someone start to really? get a handle on his work. And, and of course, you, I know you're showing some of his films at the Refocus <laughs> Film Festival. So maybe coincidentally, that might be a good place to start. If you want to start with seeing Herzog on the big screen, yeah, you can come to Refocus and you can see Cobra Verde, uh, which is itself an adaptation film scene or Refocus Film Festival is uh, devoted to the art of adaptation. So that's an adapted work from a novel. Um, so Cobra Verde, uh, that's one film. Um, and uh, And what is... Cobra Verde about? Well, so Cobra Verde is uh, a film. It stars uh, Klaus Kinski, who uh, is kind of Herzog's, one of his most famous muses, um, an incredible partnership there. Um, it's a film about uh, uh, a paroled Brazilian bandit uh, who uh, is sent to West Africa um, with a few troops um, to kind of man this old Portuguese fort um, and convince uh, local rulers um, to resume the slave trade uh, to Brazil. Uh, and so, you know, again, it's kind of this this film about, uh, you know, these huge uh, conflicts and, um, you know, far-flung places and people being out of water and uh, yeah. 
Right. Well, and I, I just streamed Grizzly Man to make sure that, that I had a little better understanding yeah. of Herzog. So, I mean, there are other places you can you can go and see some of his work. Are there other things that you'd recommend? Oh, yeah. I mean, so Fitzcarraldo uh, is kind of this famous film about um, an adventurer going through the Amazon, um, you know, again, these, these you know, uh, contrasting uh, man's capacity to dream with their hubris. Um, uh, you know, I, I love Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which that's another, you know, documentary film if you had the pleasure to see it in 3D. And I hope we get to show that film again someday in 3D. Um, but just a remarkable film. Um, you know, uh, so many, so many films, uh, both documentary and feature length. It's hard to know exactly where to start. And it may depend on kind of how, how dark you want to get, how uplifting you want to be, or, uh, you know, how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. Right. Well, we have just a few minutes left, but let's talk about the Refocus Film Festival. Sure. Um, it is focused on adaptation. What are you excited about this year? So we've got, you know, a few dozen uh, new films kind of making their their way around uh, the the festival landscape. Um, you know, so some of the other highlights, um, we'll have some other visiting filmmakers. So the film or festival opens up with Robot Dreams, uh, which is adapted from a graphic novel. Uh, we'll have the graphic novelist here with us on, on opening night on Thursday. It's a, it's a beautiful film and uh, it's completely dialogue free, um, which is amazing. Uh, as is the graphic novel it's based on. So that's going to be a fun conversation afterwards. And it's a great, you know, a film that is both, uh, you know, grown up, but also, um, you know, kind of childlike in some ways. So, you, you know, bring the whole family. Um, it's great for kids, but also very, very good for adults. Great for adults. Uh, some other filmmaker guests, we have um, this remarkable film, Time Bomb Y2K, which is a collage film that's kind of exploring, you know, what it was like to uh, be counting down to uh, midnight on December 31st, 1999, if you remember that. I but remember. We all thought the world was going to collapse yep. uh, at, at midnight. Uh, so that uh, that film, we'll have the filmmaker here for that. And then um, author Kristen Rupenian and director uh, Susanna Fogel will be here for Cat Person. Um, if you remember that incredibly viral uh, short story, Cat Person, um, from a few years back, it is now a feature film and it's being released nationwide right now. And we are lucky enough to have both uh, the director and the author here. So please join us for that. Not the first time a Twitter thread has turned into a movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what a world we live in. Um, and, and people still can get involved in, in the Refocus Film Festival. As I mentioned, that Werner Herzog event is mm -hmm. now sold out, but right. passes are still available and people can... Passes are still available in two different sizes. Still, our all-access pass is sold out, uh, which includes all the parties. Don't sleep on that next year. But you can still get, you know, you can get eight films, four films. You can also come to one film. And I should mention there's a number of free things happening. Um, we've got some free kind of semi-secret screenings uh, going on in the Chauncey, if you can find those on Saturday. We've got coffee talks uh, on Saturday and Sunday morning. So you have to search the building? Yeah, for the yeah. <laughs> it's not too hard to find, but we're going to make it worth your while. Yeah, <laughs> we've got like a secret spe speakeasy showroom uh, somewhere in the building. The uh, the Refocus Film Festival, this is the second annual, although this is also a relaunch of an, of an older festival. What does it feel like this year? Yes, last year you were you were just getting things started. This year it feels like there's a lot of excitement. Oh, good. Uh, you know, we're we're just talking about movies all the time, so it's kind of hard to judge how much excitement is truly out there. Uh, but uh, it feels great that uh, you know last year we were trying to 
bring something entirely new to Iowa City or, you know, new and recent memory. Um, So it's fun to know that people kind of jumped on it early. More people got passes. Twice as many people have passes as last year. Uh, We hope that people will, you know, even if they can only make it to one film, come be a part of it. That really contributes to that festive atmosphere. Um, And, you know, this is something that we're building um, for, you know, the long term. Uh, And so to have this much growth early on and this much excitement, it really is encouraging that this is something that, that can be a mainstay in Iowa City for many years to come. Andrew Sherburn, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Andrew Sherburn is a filmmaker and executive director of Film Scene in Iowa City. We've been talking about the Refocus Film Festival, celebrating the art of adaptation. It takes place October 12th through the 15th. You can find out more at refocusfilmfestival.org. Film Scene is an underwriter of IPR. Coming up in just a moment, I will be talking with legendary filmmaker, screenwriter, actor, and author Werner Herzog. He has published his memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. He'll be in Iowa City for a sold-out event at the Englert Theater on Sunday, October 15th. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Werner Herzog has produced, written, and directed more than 70 feature and documentary films. He is legendary in the world of film. He's regarded as a pioneer of new German cinema, but he's bigger than that. His films are watched worldwide, and they have taken him to the farthest reaches of the earth. Films such as Aguirre, The Wrath of God, My Best Fiend, Grizzly Man, and Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Herzog appears in and narrates many of his documentaries, sharing his thoughts and lending his unique and often imitated voice to the subject. Grizzly Man is a 2005 documentary that focuses on the life and death of Timothy Treadwell, a man who spent 13 summers living amongst the grizzly bears at Katmai National Park in Alaska. Treadwell and his partner Amy Huguenard were killed and eaten by a large grizzly bear, and the film includes footage that was captured by the pair during the summer leading up to the attack. Here's a moment from the film with Treadwell mourning the death of a fox he had befriended followed by Herzog's narration. Oh, God. I love you. I love you, and I don't understand. It's a painful world. Here, I differ with Treadwell. He seemed to ignore the fact that in nature there are predators. I believe the common denominator of the universe is not harmony, but chaos, hostility, and murder. In another scene in Grizzly Man, Herzog is talking with a friend of Treadwell's. As she looks on, he listens to the cassette that continued to record when Treadwell and Huguenard were attacked. He shares a little bit of what he hears and gives her some advice. 
Truly, you must never listen to this. I know, Werner. I'm never going to. And you must never look at the photos that I've seen at the coroner's office. I will never look at them. Yeah. They said it was bad. Now you know why no one's gonna hear it. I think you, you should not keep it. You should destroy it. Yeah. I think that's what you should do. Okay. Because it will be the white elephant in your room all your life. Audio from the 2005 film Grizzly Man. Werner Herzog is also an actor. You may have seen him play the villain in Jack Reacher or the client in The Mandalorian. He is a poet and a novelist, and he has published his memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. He's coming to Iowa on October 15th for a sold-out event at the Englert Theater in Iowa City. He'll also be receiving the Cinema Savant Award from Film Scene, and he is on the line with me now. Werner Herzog, welcome. Thank you for having me. It is wonderful to have you. And you've told your story in so many ways over the years. What made you want to write this memoir now? Well, you should uh, move away from uh, films. They are a distraction at the moment. I've always been a writer, uh, but uh, people have not noticed it as much as I have noticed my films. And since about 40 years, 45 years, I keep hammering it in uh, to everyone that um, my uh, my poetry and my prose will probably outlive my films. So, um, and I have published uh, books. It's not my first book. I've actually written three books in the last two years and have made only two films in the last two years. That's so, such, such an enormous amount of work in the last two years. You're, you're uh, incredibly productive no matter what you focus on. Well, I, I deal with what's coming with the greatest vehemence at me. And uh, so um, whatever is thrown at me, I will deal with it. In your memoir, you share the stories of your past in so much detail. How did you reconnect with the past? Well, it's easy for me because I have lived it and I have carried uh, this book in me all my life. Or, for example, the previous one, a novel, uh, The Twilight World, which is about the last uh, Japanese soldier who surrendered 29 years after the end of the Second World War, still believing that the war was on. And um, I met him uh, some 20 years ago, and in this book I carried in me for for something like 20 years. And it, it was easy and fast to to finally write it down, but I could have written it down 15 years ago or 10 years ago. It wouldn't have uh, made much difference. What is that creative process like for you? I mean, you, you are incredibly productive. Some of your films have been made so very quickly. And clearly, as a writer, you produce that very quickly as well. What is, what is it like when you are creating actively? Oh, I, I don't care about creativity. I just uh, don't duck away if something comes at me with great vehemence. I deal with it. 
And uh, for example, I would write a screenplay for a film only if I see an entire film in front of my eyes, as if you were sitting in a theater and I am just copying the dialogue that I hear that they're speaking and I describe the landscapes and and uh, I describe what the story is and I come up with a screenplay in a week. And normally people write much longer, a year, a year and a half. I'm not one of those because I, I just uh, write something that's already finished. A lot of people also talk about searching for ideas, but it sounds like you're saying ideas come to you. Uh, I can never catch up with uh, so many things. In my memoirs, I'm writing a chapter about unfinished business projects, uh, and they are in abundance, and it's only a small part of the projects that I have. I'm actually describing one project about twin sisters, which I would like to uh, to do fairly soon. But it's um, casting would be very difficult because uh, I have to have a very special set of uh, young women, identical twins. Does that feel overwhelming to you? No, I deal with it with ease. People believe I'm a workaholic, but I'm not. Uh, my shooting days are normally finished uh, in the afternoon, and uh, I, I do not uh, spend any additional hours in my entire life. I've not had a single hour of overtime, not one, not one in 70-plus films. Wow. Your origin story, you write about it in your memoir, and it has become a big part of the legend of Werner Herzog. You grew up in a remote Bavarian village. So going to the movies was not a part of your experience in the 40s and 50s. Well, I didn't even know that cinema existed until I was 11. And I made my first phone call when I was 17. So it's inconceivable for young kids today. And we didn't have running water, so you had to go to the well with a bucket, and we had no sewage system, electricity sometimes. Um, so it was uh, a childhood in, in complete poverty and reduced, but it was wonderful. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't like to have lived anything else but, but my own childhood. You've also talked about the fact that when you were introduced to film at the age of 11, that you thought the films you saw weren't very good. No, they were lousy. It's already a uh, critic. Was, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, not a critic. Uh, it was something about Eskimos building an igloo. That was the first I ever saw. And you could tell that there were all extras, paid extras, who had no idea who played as if there were Eskimos or Inuit. Uh, and pretended to build an igloo, and, and they did a very lousy job. I could tell right away, because I grew up in snow, and I was on skis uh, uh, before I could even walk, so to speak. So uh, it it was nothing, uh, nothing of 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 any uh, memorable moment at all. What made you want to become a filmmaker? 
Oh, that came later. Uh, I had some very condensed uh, time when I was about 14 where many things uh, were decided. Uh, like uh, I knew I was a poet and I, that was my profession, not only in writing but also in making films. And I started to travel on foot and I had a very intense religious face at that time. So it was all very, very densely packed in a few weeks where I became known uh, to my own destiny. When you were learning these things about yourself, I mean, it sounds like there was this drive to create. Do you think that's, that's at your essence? No, no, I don't care about creativity and creating. I, um, I just, uh, I just face what's coming at me. When you first started making films, you ended up having to fund those films yourself by working in sure. a steel factory as a welder. So. Tell me, tell me why it felt so essential to make those films. Because I saw them. I saw them so clearly and I saw there was something different from what you would see in movie theaters, different from what was being produced at the time. And because it was so different, I never found any, any producers who would... Um, accept my, my story. And uh, this is why I, I knew I had to, to finance uh, my films myself. Of course, later I found money from other sources. But it's until today, my last two films, uh, I paid out of my own pocket and just financed and produced them myself. It would have taken too long to find the money for it. What kind of training did you have as you dove into making those first films? I'm completely self-taught, which is fine. And a few technical things I learned from, from an encyclopedia. There was something like 40, 50 pages in an encyclopedia about technical things, uh, how, for example, a celluloid camera would work or how to, uh, what, what it meant to record sound and put it, transfer it into an optical soundtrack. So those are the things you could learn in about a week or maybe 10 days. You don't need much more for making films. You have said that you are inventing cinema when you make films. You've said that even recently with, with films, you are, you are figuring out how to make these films as if no one has made films before. Tell me more about that thinking. Uh, it sounds a little pretentious. Uh, let's touch it only with a pair of pliers when I say <laughs> something like this. But there's a truth about it. Uh, I always had the feeling... Um, I had to invent uh, new forms, meaning a, a specific grammar, a specific vocabulary of cinema that uh, 
was only partially overlapping what you saw in other films. So I, I always uh, felt like um, like inventing it. And just recently on a set, one of the crew members said to me, well, you cannot do that. Um, in, in cinema, you cannot do such a thing. And I, I said to uh, I said to this person, well, we are inventing cinema here. Don't you see that? And everybody immediately listened and they said, oh, yeah, we're doing that. So it's not me alone. It's always a crew. Does that give you a freedom that other filmmakers don't have? I think everyone has a certain amount of freedom, but uh, if you are working within a definition, let's say the definition of Hollywood, you cannot be with one foot outside and the other one in. You have to be 100% definition Hollywood, mainstream sort of films. Um and, and there are certain norms and certain ways to uh, tell a story and certain ways to edit and certain ways to present a film. So, um, But I, I never really was part of it. Although I've had uh, intense contacts with Hollywood, uh, let's say 20th Century Fox being part of my film Nosferatu, a vampire film, and others, uh, other films, or being part of mainstream Hollywood as an actor. It, it has happened. There's always been crossing of the border from either side. I'm talking with Werner Herzog. He is a director, screenwriter, actor, poet, novelist, and he has published his memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. He's coming to Iowa City as part of his book tour. He'll be at the Englert Theater for a sold-out event on Sunday, October 15th. Herzog is not just famous for his work. He is also beloved for his eccentricities. For example, in 1979, the filmmaker Errol Morris was struggling to finish the film Gates of Heaven. It was being held up by a lack of financing. Herzog challenged Morris to finish the film and told him that the day he sees the finished work, he would eat his shoe. And he did just that. A short documentary titled Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe by Les Blank was released in 1980. It shows us Herzog boiling his shoe with garlic, herbs, and stock for five hours and then eating it in front of an audience at the premiere of Morris's film. Herzog explains what he's doing. I didn't mean to, to eat this shoe uh, in public. I intended to, to eat it in the restaurant but I was pushed a little bit into it and it makes sense to some extent because it should be an encouragement for all of you who want to make films and who are just scared to start and who haven't got the guts so you can follow a good example. Uh, and um, I think it should also, I, I do this here in, in public because uh, I want to help Errol's film. It still has no release yet and it should be released by one of the major studios, then I would be happy. And uh, that's why I'm here. And uh, you shouldn't worry about it. We cooked it for five hours, but uh, it's still more stiff than before. So I brought, I brought some uh, pair of poultry scissors and some sharp knives. Werner Herzog eating his shoe in 1979. We will continue our conversation in a moment. 
This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Werner Herzog has produced, written, and directed more than 70 feature and documentary films. He is legendary in the world of film. He is also an actor, poet, novelist, and right now he's in the midst of a book tour for his memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. He'll be in Iowa City on Sunday, October 15th, for an event in front of a sold-out crowd at the Englert Theater. Herzog's films often feature individuals in conflict with nature, and he seems to be drawn to remote wilderness locations like Alaska and Antarctica. He also seems to have some conflicted feelings about nature himself, as evidenced by this clip from the 1982 documentary film Burden of Dreams. Directed by Les Blank, it chronicles the chaotic production of Herzog's film Fitzcarraldo, which was released that same year. In this clip, Herzog is describing the jungles of Peru, where the production is set. Taking a close look at, at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. And we, in comparison to the articulate vileness and baseness and obscenity of all this jungle, uh, we, in comparison to that enormous articulation, we only sound and look like badly pronounced and half-finished sentences out of a stupid suburban novel, a cheap novel. And we have to become humble in front of this overwhelming misery and overwhelming fornication overwhelming growth and overwhelming lack of order. Even the, the stars up here in the, in the sky look like a mess. There is no harmony in the universe. That is Werner Herzog in the 1982 documentary Burden of Dreams. Werner Herzog is with me now. And in trying to introduce you for today's show, in preparing for this interview, I've had a hard time categorizing your work. How do you categorize it? Oh, for God's sake, uh, uh, spare me from from that kind of confession. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I don't know. I, I do. I just do my work. You see, I uh, have much more the feeling of uh, not being an artist, but being a soldier. Not in the military sense, but a, a sense of duty, a sense of responsibility, a sense of or some courage um, and holding outposts others have given up long time ago. So um, how can I describe it? Uh, it's the last thing I could do. Just take them as movies and take my books as books. Has that created challenges for you? I mean, you talked about financing your own films. Is that part of why that may be more efficient for you? Because it's hard to, to say, you know, this is that kind of film. This is the film you should fund. 
No, no, we are speaking of the exception. Most of my films have been somehow financed and pre-sold and uh, uh, produced in a in a way that corresponds to a regular to regular film production. Um, but in exceptional cases, uh, I still would uh, finance my own film if necessary. When you make documentaries, you are often part of the film, um, which is not an entirely unusual for a documentarian, although it feels different when you do it. We see you on film in the narration. Often you share not just what's going on, but you share your own opinions on on what we've witnessed. Of course, why not? <laughs> well, <laughs> what's wrong what is what's wrong about that? I'm not saying it's wrong, but it is different yeah, from how yeah. a lot of people do it. Yeah, okay. And mine uh, are better because of that. It does feel like the audience, I, I don't know, as, a, as watching them, it feels like I've just had an intimate experience with you, a, a personal conversation with you in a way that I don't necessarily feel when I watch other films. Yeah. Yeah, but we shouldn't speak about films. I'm coming to Iowa because I'm a writer. Yes. And it should it should somehow sink in. And the, the beauty of it that uh, Iowa City is not Hollywood. It's a place of writing, of uh, people who read, people who are interested in literature. So it's it's a good place for me. Yes, and you'll be here in the midst of many, many other writers. You're not just coming for the Refocus Film Festival. You're also part of the Iowa City Book Festival, and there'll be writers everywhere. Forget about the film festival. I'm, I'm in Iowa as, as a writer who coincidentally also makes films. That's how you should see it. Okay. Um, I, I do want to ask you about something you call ecstatic truth. And uh, that's something that has been talked about with regard to your documentary films, but perhaps it, it also applies to your writing, where the the truth... What do you mean when you say ecstatic truth? Well, nobody knows exactly what truth is. That's the beginning of everything. But uh, we, we know it's somewhere out there, and we sense it in a certain direction. And I, I deal in documentaries, for example, in filmmaking. Um, I'm not only fact-based because, for example, I would do casting like you only do for feature films. I would repeat a scene in a documentary. I would stylize. I would use music. I would use my voice and, and wild commentaries or poetry spoken parallel to it. So... Um, it gives you some sort of a, an illumination beyond the facts. And um, whenever I do such a thing in, in films, I make it clear, it is obvious that I'm doing it and I declare myself. Same thing in, in writing. When I write, uh, I, would, um, I would not make things up unless it's a pure novel or pure poetry. That's pure invention. Memoirs, um, of course, uh, there was not a single stone that was not uh, uh, unturned. And I gave the manuscript to my brothers to read it. 
commented about it and check facts, check it. And many of the things that are described in my memoirs are things that happened in, in open public um, with many, many witnesses. For example, I, yes, I moved a ship over a mountain and there were hundreds of people there who worked with me and who witnessed it. And yes, I was shot uh, during an interview with BBC because it is even caught on tape uh, and so on, on and on. So uh, you, you better verify the, the hard core of what is going on. Sometimes it's a question of interpretation. Some of the incidents my brothers uh, see in the same way, but, but with nuance is different. Uh, and I would correct my my view if they had a convincing and a clearer memory. It, the, those are arguments that families often have because memory can vary dramatically from person to person. Were, were you guys pretty yeah. close when you talked about your memories of these early times? Sure, yes, uh, we were pretty close, but I, I had forgotten certain things and I would incorporate it in my text. One of the unique things uh, about your memoir is how it ends, which is, is mid-sentence, and you describe in your foreword how that happened. Uh, tell me that story, please. Well, I was fairly close with the uh, Japanese soldier Hiro Onoda, who um, fought the Second World War on a small Philippine jungle island uh, until the nineteen. Uh, 70, 74 or so, 29 years after the end of the war, he was still fighting until he surrendered. And he described to me once that uh, you can see the future sometimes for a moment. He saw, for example, a bullet fired at him. He actually survived 111 ambushes. Um, and he sees a bullet coming at him. The sun is so low that the bullet has a has some sort of a copper glow in the air and it's too late to duck. He rotates his body to the side and the bullet whizzes by only a few inches. And uh, he says, you can see the future. And I was writing it last chapter and I actually describe it. And all of a sudden I see something coming at me like a bullet. I look up. But it was a, it, a look up because it was this kind of uh, greenish glowing color and, and also a copper color. Uh, but it was not a bullet, it was a hummingbird. And it, I was in the middle of a sentence and then I looked at what I had written and I decided, no, I do not continue writing anymore. Just like that. And the book, which is strange, ends in mid-sentence. But it's one of these liberties that I take. Yeah. Well, I feel like it gives me uh, some insight into your process as well. From everything you've said, it sounds like the, the words were flowing from you and then it was over. Yeah, it's, as if I had been hit by a bullet. So all of a sudden, and some translators, I saw an Italian translation recently, the sentence ends with dot, 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 as if I had time enough 
to write an unfinished sentence and put dot, dot, <laughs> dot. By then I would have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> we, it sounds pedantic, but it's uh, it, the situation was particular. We are nearly out of time, but I do want to ask you, yeah. you know, you you have created this incredible body of work in film and writing, and I mean, you've directed operas, you've done all of these things, but you also hold this very unique position in pop culture. You've been on The Simpsons, you've been on The Mandalorian, and you're all over the internet, even though you famously don't engage with a lot of the, uh, with any social media or a lot of the things that, that a lot of us waste a lot of our time on. Yeah. How do you feel about how you are seen and held up in popular culture? Well, I look at it with, uh, how shall I say, it puzzles me. Uh, but I know at the same time that representation of self has changed uh, dramatically since the beginning of the internet. But I do not, I'm not on the internet. I'm not uh, on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that because I don't even own a cell phone. And I'm not, it's, if you see me on um, one of these social media, it's a complete forgery. So you can be sure of that. Uh, it's okay. What can I do? Uh, I see them. I see all these doppelgangers in their 20, 30 out. I see them uh, like unpaid stooges, like unpaid bodyguards. Let them do battle out there and uh, I'm quite quite all right. Let them do, let them do their thing. <laughs> They're building the legend. No, I, what, what do you mean legend? I, I couldn't care less about that. <laughs> I'm not participating in it at all. Uh, and that's it. And uh, let's face it, it's, uh, uh, it, 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 will, it will change its forms. Uh, we are in the very early ages of the internet, in the very early uh, kind of uh, representation of self through others uh, on our own. You will not find me on the internet describing myself or photos of myself, photoshopped and things like that. It's not going to happen. Are there other books badgering you to, to be written? Uh, well, I just finished another book. In June, I wrote another book. It's called The Future of Truth which um, will be published next spring, but first in its uh, German original version. And until it's picked up in the, by a publisher and until it's translated, it's probably going to be another year. These uh, mills grind slowly. Werner Herzog, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it was a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to to come to Iowa. I, I love the heartland of America. That's why I really want to stop by. Werner Herzog. He has published his memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. He'll be in Iowa City on Sunday, October 15th for an event in front of a sold-out crowd at the Englert Theater. 
Herzog's acting skills, unique personality, and voice have helped to make him a pop culture icon. He's appeared in four episodes of The Simpsons, playing three different characters, including himself. Here is a clip of Herzog playing himself, or at least a version of himself, that owns a magic shop and tells fortunes for The Simpsons family in the season 32 episode, Mother and Child Reunion. Look, the heart of the story is Lisa and me. Do we finally get along? Also, in the future, how many more Ghostbusters do they make? Four. The gay Ghostbusters is fantastic. Can't we dwell on the fact that I was president? So concerned about your futures, but no one cares about mine. I won't get into details, but my body winds up in the dumpster behind the store. Do any of you give a damn? Very well. Now we have come to the final two cards. The future will be revealed. But first, I want to plug my gig this Saturday at the Comedy and Magic Club. I conjure the spirit of Rodney Dangerfield. Ich bekomme keinen Respekt. I'm telling you. That's Werner Herzog on The Simpsons. Not long ago, he also joined the Star Wars universe playing a character simply known as the client on The Mandalorian. Herzog has published his memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All. He'll be in Iowa City on Sunday, October 15th for an event in front of a sold-out crowd at the Englert Theater. His appearance is part of three different festivals taking place in Iowa City. The Refocus Film Festival, the Iowa City Book Festival, and the Infinite Dream Festival. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. This episode was produced by Samantha McIntosh, Caitlin Troutman, and Nicole Baxter. We had special help from Jason Burns. And you never need to miss an episode. Please subscribe to the Talk of Iowa podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.